0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 150th episode of the podcast. This is an exciting milestone because it's a nice round number of 150. And today, as I've done with my 100th podcast and my 50th episode, is I'm changing up the format of the podcast. Usually, I have the same format every week. It's about 20 minutes of me talking about fly fishing and the outdoors and then I go into a review of what was on casting across that week and then I have a product recommendation. Those two parts of the podcast that I talked about are still going to happen at the end but instead of me talking about fly fishing for 20 minutes we're switching it up and we are bringing back a popular segment something that I've gotten a lot of great feedback on. In fact, at uh, not this last fly fishing show because it didn't exist because of covid but the previous fly fishing show when i was uh, at uh, edison new jersey i almost had somerset for years and years of being in somerset when i was in edison new jersey i had more feedback about anything anything in casting across i got because of one of these podcasts so i'm not going to introduce it i'm going to have my guests introduce themselves and then talk about what this podcast is going to be today so first who are you
2: I'm Timothy. I'm his son.
1: And how old are you, Timothy?
2: Nine years old.
1: Very good. What grade does that make you?
2: I am in fourth grade.
1: Fantastic. And how about you?
2: My name is Daniel. I am seven and I am in second grade.
1: All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I have two other boys that are not part of the podcast today. There's a five-year-old, a newly minted five-year-old, and a two-year-old. So, what's the podcast going to look like today, Timothy?
2: So me and Daniel are going to ask dad some questions and then um and then we are going to talk about it together.
1: Fantastic. Is that sounding like a plan, Daniel? Yeah. All right. So because you're the youngest, why don't you go first? What's the first question that you have for us to talk about in the podcast?
2: Would you want the fly fish or lure fish?
1: Would I rather fly fish or lure fish? So sometimes lure fishing is also called conventional fishing. People use spinning rods and bait casting rods. I would rather fly fish. Um, I I like using lures. I especially like using lures when I'm in a boat because I'm not that great of a boatsman. So And by boat, I I mean like a small craft like kayaks or canoes. But I am not opposed to fly fishing that way. uh, And I fly fish more than I use lures. But I, I have a lot of fun... Uh, using lures when I'm in a canoe or a kayak because I'm not really good at steering and paddling It's just not something I spend an awful lot of time doing So I would say that's the really the primary time that I like to use a spinning rod But I guess also too when when not just three of us, but when all of the boys are out fishing I like using uh, lures because I'm usually right on top of one of you trying to untangle something And so I can't get the space necessary that I need to to use a fly rod. How about how about you Daniel? What's your preference?
2: I like fly fishing. How about you, Timothy? I like um, lure fishing.
1: What's your favorite lure to use?
2: Um, I like to use a like bait fish lure.
1: Bait like a like a like a like a crank Yeah. Okay, very good. Do you have a preferred color?
2: Uh, I like golden.
1: Golden, golden. We have lots of golden shiners up here in New England. So that's a good pattern all right next question what's the next question timothy
2: when was the first time you ever went fishing ever not just fly fishing like lure fishing
1: okay the very first time that i can remember and i'm not sure if there's any way to like actually get this answer is with my grandpa grandpa leonard this would be your great grandpa and actually timothy got to meet him Uh, daniel didn't he passed away before daniel was born But I remember him taking me fishing on a canal in central Illinois. So that's where I was born, in the middle of Illinois, Not trout fishing uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Just lots of ponds and some pretty big, slow rivers. There's some of those rivers that are overrun with those silver carp. We've watched those videos of when people are flying down the river in their boats, and those carp are jumping up and hitting people in the face, and people are bow hunting for carp from the back of their boats. Those are the rivers that kind of uh, are around where I grew up. But I don't think the silver carp were there when I was little. But all I had to say, there's a canal system, a, a scenic canal uh, it's not a scenic canal, but it's like a historic canal that runs through kind of where we were in, in Illinois that connected a couple of those river systems. And there was old locks that were no longer in operation. So the locks were ways to have you know relatively still water um, and have boats move through them. And uh, because they were relatively still, uh, the bluegill absolutely loved them and the catfish too. And so I can remember distinctly going fishing with worms and bobbers with my grandpa Leonard out the back of his truck. He would smoke his pipe, and uh, he would sit on the little wicker folding chair. And I remember also hooking him uh, in the, it was either the ear or the nose. I bet um, my dad, your grandpa, would remember exactly what happened. But that was the first time I remember fishing, period, and catching, like, bluegill and sunfish and stuff like that.
2: Um, A, a question to go on with the question. Um, did you catch a fish when you went down on one of those fishing trips?
1: Yeah, i um, bluegill and and sunfish and bass and stuff like that. And I remember remember eating them. I remember also having a scaler uh, in in his tackle box and just being fascinated about how that thing worked like a torture device. Um, but yeah, that's that was the first time.
2: What would you do if you saw, if there was a bear?
1: <laughs> if there was a bear? Yeah. Now, real quick, this is this is a very personal question because Daniel, what is your nickname? Bear. That's right. Because when you were a baby, you were very growly. Sometimes you are still kind of growly, but yeah. So, what would I do if there's a bear? actually tell you what. I'm gonna turn this one back around on uh, you guys. Timothy, you're you're nine. What would you do if there was a bear?
2: I would fit and look don't look it in the eye and. Um, back up slowly and don't make any sudden move. Just leave it alone.
1: All right. That's the Timothy's answer. How about you, Daniel?
2: I would mm, whack it with my fishing rod.
1: Well, I don't think that one of those would go very well. So, all right. So now the, I think this is important because not that people are turning to the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast for wilderness survival uh, tips and, and skills. But I think it's important for us to mention that we live on the East Coast. And so the species of bear that we would encounter would be what, Daniel?
2: Black bear.
1: That's right. But if someone were to be living out in, say, uh, Montana, Timothy, they'd be seeing...
2: Grizzly bear. Yikes. Yikes.
1: Yes, yikes, indeed, and they're much—they're much scarier and much more aggressive. I mean, you don't have to be afraid of them. You don't have to be afraid of like any animal in the woods. But uh, okay, so actually, Timothy, yours was a pretty good answer. I would say that if I encountered a bear, which you know, what I was actually just talking about this with a friend. We were up fishing in the White Mountains a couple of weeks ago, and he says that he frequently sees bears when he's fishing, and I have only seen bears when I've been fishing one time, and I, it was I was still in the parking lot, like I I could still um, you know hear cars going by when I saw it. So I don't see bears that frequently. That being said, if I were to encounter a bear in the mountains, in the Shenandoahs, or up in the Whites, or in the Catskills, or something like that. Then I would do what you said, which was stop and back up um, and kind of make a circuitous route around that bear if it was on the trail or if it was off the side of the trail, do the same thing and really just keep my distance and also just to see if you know if there was cubs make sure that I wasn't getting in between it and the cub um, but really just take it easy and even though there's a very good chance that that bear if long before i saw that bear that it saw me and it got out of there um, because they have a really good eyesight really good sense of smell and they're really you know attuned to nature whereas usually we're just kind of you know, stomping through the woods, especially if we got our fishing gear on and our nippers and our forceps and our fly boxes are all jingling and jangling as we, as we walk through the woods, chances are that bear is going to know that we're there and it's going to get out of there because it doesn't want to be bothered by something that's big and jangly. But if I were to encounter the bear, I would just take a wide circuitous route keeping it in my field of vision and if it wasn't moving and it was on the trail or it was looking agitated or if I could tell that maybe it was um, a mama bear then I'd probably just you know make other plans and back up but uh, also try to look kind of kind of uh, unintimidating to it not like prey but also not like something that is threatening it that's a very good question Daniel all right Timothy what's the next one
2: would you rather catch a medium-sized fish with a fly rod or a large fish with your favorite lure
1: that's actually another really good question uh you know you know i caught a really big bass earlier this summer on a rapala floating minnow which is by far my favorite lure to fish just a a black and gray rapala floating minnow Uh, and it was a lot of fun to catch that big bass and honestly I, I I think you put me in a kind of a weird spot. I like having days where I catch lots of fish in a particular way. So, for example, I'm happy catching like 14 inch, wild trout rising to dry flies. A 14-inch wild trout in a lot of places is just a, a pretty average-sized fish, and there's nothing too spectacular about it, but there's something about knowing that it's a wild fish and knowing that it's rising and that I'm able to catch it in that way that I really, really enjoy. That being said, I don't know if I would necessarily trade that experience of catching a number of fish like that um, for one big fish on, on, a, on a rod and reel with a, with a lure, I don't know. That's a really good question. All right, if, if you had to pin me down, uh, and I, maybe I put too many qualifications on that on that fly fly rod fish that I was talking about, I guess it would be a really big fish on a, a spinning rod. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So does that satisfy your question? Sure. All right. Daniel, it, these guys these are good questions. What's your next question, buddy?
2: Would you rather... Would you rather... Have leaky waiters, or forget your sunglasses on a sunny day.
1: Oh man, would I rather have leaky waiters, or forget my sunglasses on a sunny day? Okay, so here's another qualification. What's the weather like? Because if it's cold, I would absolutely not want leaky waiters. Um, and then I guess also like how big is the leak? Because there's been I've had older pair of waiters that have like pinholes, and you get like a wet spot the size of like a quarter, or like a like a you know, like a dollar bill that, that, that is uncomfortable, but it's not awful. But you know, I, I would say that as much as I think that having a good quality pair of polarized sunglasses is an essential part of going fishing, especially if you're waiting, um, so, which I would imagine that would be the situation if you're in waiters. Uh, I would say, I, I don't, I don't want to be to be wet when I want to be dry. I don't mind being wet. And you guys know that a lot of times when we go fishing, we go wet wading. You know, I don't have waders for, for a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old. So we're usually fishing in a situation where we can just walk in, in our water shoes or even barefoot. Um, so I don't mind being wet, but if I'm wearing waders, there's a reason for that. So if that, that means that my day is, has had a bad turn of events. So I would say that, even though I really want to have a good pair of sunglasses both to help me see fish and to wade safely, I think that I would just be in such a foul mood if I had leaky waders that it would probably ruin my day even quicker. So that's, that's my answer to, to that one. That's a good, scary question, Daniel.
2: What snacks do you like to take on your fishing trips?
1: All right, I'm going to turn this one back on you guys. What snacks do you like to take on fishing trips? You first.
2: Mostly Jolly Ranchers.
1: What is it with you guys and Jolly Ranchers? What do you, what do you think, Daniel?
2: Gummy bears and Twizzlers.
1: Oh, man. Which is fantastic. Both of those snacks that you guys mentioned are like not on the t- to-eat list since you both have orthodontic work that is currently happening. So, all right. I like Twizzlers. I like Jolly Ranchers. I especially like gummy bears. I'm particularly fond of Haribo gummy bears. That's my favorite. Black Forest are okay. Those Albanese ones, I'm not sure what the hype is about, about those Haribo gummy bears are spectacular, and uh, I will eat them if they're put in front of me. But I don't bring them fishing. So usually when I go fishing, there's a couple of snacks I like. So I really like hot tamales which is kind of in that same family of snacks. So that's one of my favorites. I also like licorice. Now, I like soft licorice. The problem with that is when you put it in your pack, you put it in your pocket, and it gets nasty. So I usually have to go with good and plenty when I do that. But I do like granola bars. I do like trail mix. I like the fruit and nut granola bars from, uh, I can't think of what brand that is. We buy them at Costco, so we get like 100 of them at a time. Uh, I like trail mix. When I make trail mix, it's usually peanuts and uh, cashews and craisins and raisins and then whatever dried fruit we have on hand like right now I think we have pineapple and dried cherries so I'm a big fan of that because it's there's a lot of fat and there's a lot of carbs and there's a lot of stuff in it but it's also not like fake so that's usually the snacks that I bring bring with me when I'm when I'm fishing and of course if I can stop at a gas station then I'll get something particularly unhealthy but that's a very good question
2: Would you rather hook yourself or catch no fish?
1: Oh man Daniel, that's diabolical. All right, hook myself or catch no fish. Now, real quick, uh, these children were assigned this task of creating these questions. Uh, you know, we homeschool, which we're really pumped about. We're excited about. They're doing great. They have plenty of socialization options out there. They finish their school day with multiple uh, different classes by lunchtime. So, I mean, we're in a great place with this. But this is one of the things is I get to say, hey, if it's one of your little projects and I find a place for it to fit into their curriculum, their, or their mother their mother finds a place for it to fit into their curriculum. So they've been thinking about these questions for a week. So a question like, would you rather hook yourself or catch no fish is an excellent question, Daniel. Um, again, I'm sure I could throw some caveats in there like, well, what kind of fish should I be catching? Where would I hook myself? Um, I think I would rather be skunked than, you know, potentially hook myself in a very painful location. Uh, I've hooked myself in the ear, I've hooked myself in the hand, and although that's like the most normal place to hook yourself when you're messing with hooks, especially, um, you know, when you're unhooking a fish, especially with a larger, a larger fish with a larger hook, or if, you know, going back to the idea of lure fishing, if you're using a treble hook, you get a, a hook with a barb. Which, you know, I pinch down most of my barbs, but if you get a a treble hook with a barb in your hand while it's still attached to the fish, that's almost the worst thing that I can imagine because then it's not like, okay, I've got an injury in my arm or I have an injury even in my neck, like, you know, through the skin of my neck. To have it in your hands, that's going to ruin the rest of your fishing day. So I would say I'd rather be skunked on that particular day than walk away from that day with a hook injury that I'm not allowed to pick where it happens. But excellent and scary question, Daniel. All right, Timothy, maybe this is the last one. Go for it.
2: What is your favorite fly to use?
1: Ooh. Okay, favorite fly to use. It's interesting because as I'll talk about here at the end of the podcast, this week on the website I put in my top three flies and then three more flies. So that is something that people could read kind of more, and I don't think I'm contradicting myself when I say that my favorite fly and this is not gonna shock anybody, it is a woolly bugger, right? Everybody likes the woolly bugger. And here's the reason why. And, and I say it's my favorite fly for, for a few reasons. Now, it's a versatile fly. Now, I love fishing dry flies and I often fish dry flies, but you can't have the same versatility with a dry fly that you can with something like a woolly bugger. So I love a woolly bugger because I can fish it like a nymph, but I can also fish it like a streamer. And in a lot of the, the places that I learned to fish, it was m- the way that I learned how to fish. So it's my favorite fly. But let me, let me be very specific. And I know that I'm not reinventing the wheel or creating any sort of new ground in the fly tying world by saying this. But my absolute favorite woolly bugger is a sparsely hackled or sparsely hackled, I guess you could say, woolly bugger with a thicker winding of hackle up by the head of the fly tied on a jig hook with, um, lo- a, a thick red collar. So I, am not sure if I've written an article about that because it's, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily want to say, oh, here's the best woolly bugger because there's a billion best woolly buggers out there. But I like that fly because, uh, to me it has that, uh, that hot spot um, having a jig hook, you're able to fish it, uh, in some places where you might otherwise get hung up. Uh, I think you can also have a, um, you know, a a little bit of a, of a greater silhouette of that fly by having a more thickly hackled collar. So that's my preference. If I, if I had to have one fly, I would not be feeling like I was making a compromise, like, you know, leaving behind my, my yellow humpy, which is also one of my favorite flies, which I guess I can't say too, to, to have the particular kind of woolly bugger that, that I tied. So how about you? What's your favorite fly to, to, to fish, Timothy?
2: I like a woolly bugger.
1: Yeah, do you have a color that you like the best? Olive. All of them or olive?
2: Olive.
1: All of them or olive?
2: Olive.
1: Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. How about you, Daniel?
2: Squirmy wormies.
1: I'm almost positive that in a previous podcast that you've said squirmy wormies is your favorite fly with that exact same inflection. You've caught trout on squirmy wormies. You've caught bass on squirmy wormies. You've caught lots and lots of bluegill on squirmy wormies. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that.
2: A question on top of the question that I asked Dad, what is your favorite dry fly?
1: Oh, it's the yellow humpy by by a long shot. I absolutely love it. So if you look at my uh, one of the logos I've been using on social media and on Casting Across, it is a kind of a stylized gray and orange humpy. And I do like an orange humpy, but I like a yellow humpy because it's a little bit more natural. Um, and it's a softer silhouette, I, I think. And again, I'm all about silhouettes of flies when they're on the surface and you can really uh change a fly's silhouette by the color that you use so even if you use a bulkier body but you use a lighter thread color or dubbing color i think it creates a gentler gentler silhouette so you can you have um, a bigger chunkier fly easier for you to see uh, creates more um, displacement on the water those hack will go out further but at the same time when that fish is looking up especially if the water is moving at all it's not going to be this giant big clunky fly Plus, I think the 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 humpy and the royal coachman and a couple other flies were the first flies that I started using when I was fishing uh, mountain brook trout. So it holds a special place in my heart. And I always have a couple in my box and like clipped to, to my pack. Very good question. All right. Anything else, boys? We're at 20 minutes. That's when I start wrapping things up. Any other important things to add, Daniel? No. Timothy? No, not really. Well, gentlemen, once again, thank you for being on the podcast. I know that I enjoy having you on here. I know that uh, other people write in and uh, uh, grab me at, when I'm out in public at fly fishing events and, and say how much they enjoy listening to you um, if you any as a listener have any questions for Timothy and Daniel I'm not going to promise that they're going to be on the podcast next week but if you send something in then I'll make sure that they pass along so Matthew at com is how you can get a hold of me and again next week is another fly fishing accusations podcast so feel free to send in any questions about fly fishing about gear, about where I fish, and I'm happy to answer a handful of those on the air. This week on the Casting Across website, castingacross.com, first article is called Fly Fish Out of a Backpack. Fly Fish Out of a Backpack. And this is basically my article talking about how I've been fishing more and more out of a big backpack. Not, my sling pack is always in use, but when I'm going into the woods or when I'm carrying something bigger, I use a backpack and there's a number of reasons for it, and I outlined three of them, and I also address the biggest drawback that people assume they're going to have when they're using a backpack as their primary method of storage when they go fly fishing. Wednesday's article is called Rusty Fly Box, Fewer Flies, and as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, uh, there's one article that's called uh, Why Only Three Flies, so if I were to only have three flies in my box, and then the next article is, lo- is Oh, uh, three more flies. So, this is like my three primary flies, and then my three secondary flies. And then I have a podcast episode that you might have already heard if you're a, a regular listener. But if not, this is a good one to go and listen to. And it talks about kind of the theory and the method about having a minimalist fly box and the the key to it. Whether you're fishing for trout in the mountains, or on spring creeks, or on big rivers, or you're fishing for bass, or you're fishing in the saltwater, the, the key is you want flies that can do all the things that you need but you want flies that are, are going to be versatile enough for you to focus on your presentation and how you're fishing and not necessarily on what you're fishing. If you, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and there's a lot better anglers than me that, that believe this, that a lot of your success is not dependent upon pattern. It's dependent upon presentation. And so that's really what I'm trying to do for myself and hopefully can encourage you to do as well. This week's recommendation on the podcast is... A pair of scissors from Loon Outdoors. I prefer Loon tying tools for my fly tying bench. I think they're comfortable in my hand and they also execute very well. And this particular pair of scissors is the Ergo Arrow Point Scissors. The Ergo Arrow Point Scissors. They've been around for about two or three years and they have a really really nice design again that fit great in my hand and right about where uh, the the blades come together is right over my uh, index fingers knuckle as i'm squeezing them so they allow for a lot of precision i've probably medium-sized hands so they would fit larger hands but also smaller hands and they are just a very narrow blade and they're very sharp They are a really tight tolerance, and I use them for probably more stuff than I should. Um, Probably not as delicate with them as I should be, cutting thicker, heavier materials than they're probably designed for. But that being said, they've held up very, very well. Scissors that sharp usually kind of have a self-sharpening element to them. But I'm a really big fan, and like I said, I probably use these more than I should. They come in a yellow handle and a black handle. They hold up really well. Incredibly sharp tip, and what I like about them is that you can cut with the tip, or you can cut using kind of the, um, all the way up into the, the the deeper part of the scissor. But for $16, they're definitely worth giving a try if you're trying to find that perfect pair of scissors. I like a chunkier pair of scissors, at least a chunkier handle. And so that's what I like about kind of the, the rubber coated or powder coated uh, scissors from Loon. So I'll put a link to the Ergo Arrowpoint Scissors on the show notes of this podcast's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.